You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Uh, he's just kind of sitting back and watching. Uh, you know, you got LeBron in the gym. That's, that's amazing to have as a young kid like me. So, I mean, after the workout, he just told me to keep working. And, I mean, it's good to have him in the gym and meet LeBron. Were you expecting that, him to be here for the workout? Uh, I did not expect it at all. <laughs> I did not expect it. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where, with the NBA draft less than three weeks away, with NBA trade rumors and free agency speculation heating up, and with the NBA Finals looking more and more like a toss-up each and every day as people go down like flies, it's time to buckle up, fasten your seatbelt, and pick up that tab for that dinner you just had with Heath Ledger, because you know full well that he ain't gonna be paying, and you know who else won't be paying? Lakers fans or NBA fans, because it's about to be the littest time of the year with the NBA draft and free agency. And we're here to continue to guide and entertain you throughout that process. Uh, Tonight's episode is going to be part two with my interview with Cole Zwicker. If you haven't checked out part one, make sure to do that. It's the episode right before this one, episode 243, Draft Past One. In that episode, we go into a deep dive of the Anthony Davis trade landscape, talk about some leverage plays and the types of discussions the Pelicans and the Lakers could be having. Uh, And then we also go into an in-depth conversation into the number four pick, who the Lakers could look at and who would fit best on a LeBron James-led team if they keep that pick. So make sure to check that episode out. Um, In this part two episode with Cole, I throw out a couple more hypotheticals his way, and then we play a fun game of good comp, bad comp with regards to the NBA prospects in this year's draft, pretty self-explanatory, and we close it out with a 2019 NBA draft awards segment, uh, categorizing some of these players into these certain stereotyped award headers. And then in segment two, Tommy will join me for a little bit as we try and explain the NBA salary cap logistics that the Lakers have to work with this summer and the order of operations that they'll have to adhere to in order to pull off a max free agency signing alongside LeBron James and then a trade for Anthony Davis as well. So make sure to stay tuned for that. I know Eric Pincus came out with a very in-depth and thorough article outlining how an Anthony Davis trade would look like and all the different possibilities. So definitely check that out as well. He does a much better job of explaining all the salary cap minutia that goes into it. But uh, we try our best in the last segment to be a coherent audio accompaniment to that as well. So make sure to check that out. Uh, Before I turn it over to Cole, first and foremost, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes because the more you rate and review us, that's how many more additional gather steps the Lakers will be giving some of these draft prospects in order to hit literal new heights and shock and awe the Twitter sphere with these ridiculous max verts of theirs. 
Obviously, this past weekend, everybody saw Jarrett Culver's ridiculous max vert of 45 inches and that insane photo that the Lakers posted of his hand well above the white backboard box. Needless to say, can't wait for Brandon Clark to hit 69 on his max vert. Ayo. But yes, please rate and review us on iTunes. Five-star rating would help us out a lot. I know it's hard to believe, but a lot of work time and effort actually goes into trying to keep this podcast at the consistently mediocre level that you guys have become accustomed to. But I mean, all joking aside, it does take a lot of work to coordinate all of these guest spots and just schedule out these outlines and make sure that we're organizing it in a coherent manner for you guys to easily digest. So we would really appreciate it if you guys would rate interview us on iTunes and show us your support that way. Also, if you want to directly show us your support in a financial way, you can do so at patreon.com slash the Lakers Legacy Podcast. Uh, the last few weeks and all throughout summer with regards to our guest spot episodes, we've been releasing exclusive early listens to our patrons. So if you become patrons, you guys will get those episodes before anybody else and have access to mailbag Q&As and uh, yeah, just a few little incentives to Thank you guys for supporting us. And thank you to all those patrons who currently do support us financially in that respect. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, Without further ado, I'm going to turn it over now to my part two discussion on the draft and other trade and free agency tidbits with Cole Zwicker. And shortly after that, my conversation with Tommy on what's pretty much going to be a Lakers salary cap 101 crash course with regards to the uh, financial logistics that the Lakers have to account for this free agency. Uh, But first, a word from our sponsor. All right, Cole. Cole's Wicker Part Two. What do you know? Welcome back. <laughs> Thanks for having me back, man. It's been it's been, it's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> it has been a long time. So, like I did the first episode you were on, I, did, I threw out a bunch of hypotheticals because the Lakers could go a number of ways with regards to the draft and what they do in free agency. I've got a couple other ones for you. I'm gonna throw them out to you. You tell me what you think. So, if the Lakers take the number four pick and package one of their young guys. And let's say Anthony Davis and Bradley Beal are out the door. Like we mentioned before, you take those two guys out and the options become slim. So if the Lakers are looking to just flip the number four pick without giving anything else up and looking to trade for a player that could help them immediately, I outline a couple players who won't necessarily eat too much into their cap space uh, if they trade the number four pick, which is going to make around $7 million the next year. So let's say the Lakers take the number four pick and Josh Hart, or Kyle Kuzma, do you think that's enough to get them Josh Richardson? And would you do that, Trey? That's a very great question. I think I would... Uh, God, Richardson's such a great fit next to LeBron, though. That's incredible yes. from the point guard spot. So I love that. I think there might be some likes to that. Again, Miami is kind of capped out, so they're looking probably for upside on these picks. Maybe they perceive Kuzma's having some, or you know, Culver, Garland... It's an offer that's actually pretty legitimate. I'm, mm-hmm. I think I might, I might do that. Honestly, I, I think that Richardson. The question with Richardson though, he's, he's got a very cost-effective contract. Is he good enough to really move the needle? No, it would kind of be conditioned on what you do in free agency. So ideally, I'd like to know <laughs> what would happen in free agency before doing that. Sure, but it's definitely arguable. I, I think it's a good trade to at least consider. Yeah, and Josh Richardson, his contracts the next two years are $10 million next year and 10.9 the next year. So it's already a bargain deal from there. And he already provides you day one ready ability to just help out LeBron right off the bat. So that's that would be a great deal if that somehow materializes. Uh, next one, and we kind of talked about this in the last episode, but in order to get Karis LeVert, let's say they add Kyle Kuzma to the number four pick. Is that enough to get the Nets to maybe bite? I don't think so. I think okay. the Nets value Karras too much for that. He's kind of like, people forget, like earlier this season, it was him that was viewed as their best prospect, not D'Angelo Russell. Right. Like, <laughs> so I think that they like these these self-developed guys, these guys that developed in their system. I think that bodes well for you know future negotiations with free agents or younger guys or whatnot. So I think that they're going to value Karras, not only from an on-court perspective, but very good leader. Very, He has great intangibles off the floor. So I don't think that's quite enough to move the needle. What about number four straight up for Spencer Dinwiddie? I think they would probably do that. I I don't know if I would. I wouldn't do that if I was the Lakers. I don't think that moves the needle well enough. I I do like Dinwiddie's contract. I think it's reasonable, but again, not the most ideal fit next to LeBron. Okay, my last hypothetical for you is 
The number four is straight up for Bogdan Bogdanovich. He's making $8 million next year, but after that he becomes a restricted free agent and he's already 26. But would you make that deal? <laughs> Two really good questions. The first and this one are just, they're really tough, man. <laughs> like I, I like Bogdan a lot. I, I think that he could definitely help right away. And the restricted rights are, you hit the nail on the head with that as far as the value of it. <sighs> I think I might consider it. Honestly, I mean, I would try again to move back to eight and 10 and then trade one of those. But at four, sure. I think you can make a case for that just because of the restricted free agency rights. If he was just an unrestricted guy, he's not good enough in a one-year sample. He's a little bit on the older end, of course. But I, I think that he could easily be a better player than anybody you drafted number four. And I think that'd be a very reasonable assumption at this point. Sure. Cool. All right. With that said, hypothetical is out of the way as we prepare to usher in the 2019 NBA draft. We're going to play a fun game that I came up with called Good Comp, Bad Comp, which is like Good Cop, Bad Cop. And we're not going to apply too much (laughs) in-depth analysis to this because anytime you get into comps, obviously you throw that out the window, right? So I just wanted to have fun with this. We don't have to give, you know, too extensive a, a, a rationale or analysis as to why we're bringing these players up. And Cole, if you don't have any comps to to give for any of these players, I have some comps and you can just give me your thoughts. But essentially, good comp, bad comp is I'm going to throw out a player in this year's draft and we're going to give his his high ceiling comparison and also his, if he doesn't pan out, his bust comparison. Um, so first up, DeAndre Hunter. Cole, who's your good comp for DeAndre Hunter? I think that's... Damari Carroll is a good one. I think that mm-hmm. kind of player on the Hawk, on the Hawks, but maybe a little bit better technically in space defensively, not quite as strong as Carroll. I would also maybe throw in a, a little bit less athletic version of Trevor Ariza. I think those okay. that that concept of player is what I'm looking at. Cool. What do you think about his good comp being, if everything shakes out right, Karan Butler? It's really interesting. I don't know if he has as good of a handle as that. Like Butler could create for okay. himself at a little bit higher level, but that's... It's splitting hairs a little bit. Butler also in his prime is hard to remember very succinctly for me. So <laughs> sure. it's, uh, that's a little tougher. But like that, that, that wouldn't seem outrageously unreasonable, even though I remember Kawhi, I think, or Karan being a much better shot maker and like creator off the bounce. So I, I think that I would, I would say that's probably a little bit outside the realm of his outcomes, but it wouldn't like absolutely stun me if he reached that point. Sure. Uh, what's your bad comp for DeAndre Hunter? Ooh, I don't know if one comes to mind just because a lot of these floors are, are hard to project. Yeah, I'm going to go to you on this first because I, I nothing really jumps off the page for me. So for me, and this is if, like, let's say day one, a team brings him in and says, hey, you're only going to be a three-point shooter. Okay. My bad comp, and this isn't even a bad comp, but let's say he turns into Marvin Williams. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> Marvin <laughs> Williams is like a pick-and-pop four, really ironed out that shot, but I, I definitely get where you're going with that. I, I don't know if he's going to be utilized as a four because... Hunter has issues as far as protecting the rim. And I think Williams is a little bit better there as far as mm-hmm. his rotations and stuff. But again, I don't really have like Marvin Williams had a pretty damn good career. You know what yeah. I mean? Like he's been in the league for a while. He's, you know, I think a lot of it's locker room stuff too. He's just a really high level guy as far as having around your younger players. But that, that that's reasonable. Cool. Let's move on to Darius Garland. I've got a couple good comps for Darius. He's got some Isaiah Thomas to his game, some Mo Williams, but of course, some Damian Lillard as well. What about you, Cole? <laughs> I can't even go to Lillard because Lillard's just such a good athlete. Like Lillard's like a world class athlete. His downhill burst. I think that's you know the, I, obviously the shooting comparisons as far as being able to pull from that far out. But if he was Lillard's size, like strength wise, and he had his downhill athleticism, I could see that. For me, it's kind of like maybe like Jeff Teague with a much better shot. You know what I mean? Okay. Like that kind of player who not like a, the greatest playmaker for others. He's not as fast as Jeff T, but he has that East-West lateral burst in the pull-up threat. Mm-hmm. So I, there's really just Garland's a weirdo. So is John Morant. <laughs> it's a very hard class for comps just because it, they're, they're just such weird players, honestly. So it, he's not TJ McCollum as far as his difficult shot making. He doesn't have that high of a release point. That's been a popular comparison. I get like an, an element of that though. Like he does have a little bit of that like shake to his game, mm-hmm. but it's, different functionally so i would say an iteration of jeff teague but a much better shooter whatever the hell that looks like sure my bad comp for darius garland is and i don't need to give any further explanation to this but brandon (laughs) jennings or reggie jackson what about you definitely reasonable i mean both (laughs) i think he's going to be a he's going to be a better shooter than both of those guys but as Mm -hmm. far as value on the floor i can totally see that do you have any of your own or are you good with those yeah, I, again, these floor comps are really hard. I think for Hunter, <laughs> I should probably have clarified and said, like, 
Ariza and Damari Carroll, those are more like upper median outcomes, maybe not ceiling. Like you can see situations where his shot is more functional. He comes off pin downs and stuff. I just don't know what that looks like for a lot of these guys because <laughs> it's, it's hard comparing, you know, that kind of skill set, those kinds of tools to a guy that's just a supremely better athlete. Like you can't compare DeAndre Hunter to even kind of what Kawhi does because like mm-hmm. he's just Kawhi is so much more of a twitchy athlete. Yeah, I think you're thinking too hard, Cole. With bad comps, we can just go straight loony <laughs> with this. <laughs> All right, uh, Jarrett Culver. Um, my good comp for Jarrett Culver is actually Karis LeVert. What about you? That's a really good one. That's I would have said that as well. I think you can add maybe a combination of Karis LeVert and Chris Middleton if the shot oh, making okay. really mm-hmm. comes to a high level. But that's I feel pretty good about that ceiling. What do you think about a less athletic, less built Iguodala? In terms of player template, you know, where if his shot never comes around, well, Iguodala's shot never really came around, but he was a great passer, could handle the ball a little bit, you know? I get what you're saying as far as like a secondary decision maker as well. I think Iguodala is like an all-time smart guy, and I think Culver's maybe not to that level, but he's very smart. I just think Iguodala is one of the best perimeter defenders of the last 20 years. Like he's up there with Kawhi as far as since like Scottie Pippen. Iguodala is like a real stopper. I don't think Culver's anywhere near that kind of athlete functionally. Like Iguodala didn't test well at the combine, but you watch him athletically. It's incredible. Like what he does, even at 34, he's still a high level athlete. So I think there's like athleticism gap. But as far as the role you want them to play, I can see some intersection there. Sure. Uh, my bad comp is, and there is very little thought put into this, but uh, Al Thornton. <laughs> Oh, I dig that. I haven't heard that name in like a decade, I feel like. Yeah, I went into the archives for that one, but go ahead. Yeah, mine's a pretty often used one. I think there's a lot of, honestly, there's some similarity here, and that's Evan Turner. I think from a skill set standpoint, guy who can dribble, pass, and shoot, but might not be able to shoot well enough to really unlock the real value. I do think that Culver's a better defensive player, but you look at first step quickness and just general athleticism against better athletes, and there is some parallel there. Cool. All right, let's do quick fire. What about Brandon Clark? Good comp. The hardest guy literally in the draft to, to give a comp to just because a world-class athlete who doesn't have the, the size or tools. Um, I think something like Siakam, I, I, he's, they're not oh, the okay. same player. Like Clark is more explosive. Siakam uses his length better. Uh, but I do think, I mean, Clark's a better athlete than Siakam is, but the, the length is just so big in Siakam's profile, but some kind of iteration of that player. Cool. My good comp for Brandon Clark is... The best version of Anthony Randolph. The Anthony Randolph that panned out or Kenyon Martin. It's a really good one. Yeah, yeah, good. My bad comp is Stromile Swift or Tyrus Thomas. What about you? <laughs> I just can't do it because his feel level is so high, right? Like, sure, like, sure. Actually, that's but, unfair to him. But let's just say he has an aneurysm. No, I'm just kidding. I think whatever backup center or, or like four or five hybrid type, he has a skill set of a five, but he's not big enough to play there full time. Like Montres Harrell without Montres Harrell's ability to play to like a significantly bigger size offensively and be that kind of crazy play finisher. Something like that. Obviously, Harrell's not his floor. Like his floor is lower right. than that. But that kind of backup center who doesn't really have a role. He's not big enough to play the five. You don't trust him to play the Draymond role in the playoffs, for example. That kind of player. Like Brandon Wright or something like that. Yeah, I like that. Um, he is one of your favorite prospects, Grant Williams. Um, good comp for me is like Paul Millsap. What about you? Yeah, actually, Millsap was one that's been used for Brandon Clark as well for a ceiling. That's something just mm-hmm. to note. Um, with Williams, it's not P.J. Tucker because he's not that... He's just not that physical. He's not that strong. You don't see... He's more of like a short role guy. So that's... I mean, you see some... Maybe David West, but like a smaller oh, okay. version of him. Maybe a smaller version of David West. I think he's going to be more comfortable pushing a shot out to three in the earlier part of parts of his career. Not as long, not as big as him, but just like a diet version of that. Sure. My bad comp, again, very little thought to this, is Sean May. I really went into the archives <laughs> for that one as well. <laughs> oh, I love some of these, dude. These are great. Um, yeah. Man, I the thing about Grant is like I've never seen a player like him really either. Like undersized, but mm-hmm. like super cerebral. Great. Like, not like an elite level team defender, but very high level. I Yeah, I don't have one for this. I think he's nope, just too that's weird. that's fine. <laughs> what about Kobe White? Uh, my good comp for Kobe White is an Eric Gordon or a Ben Gordon. What about you? I have Brandon Knight as like a medium, okay. maybe. Like maybe not mm-hmm. an upside. I think his upsides, you got to give him more credit than that, that he could develop at a higher rate. I don't know what that mm-hmm. looks like, but I'd say like an upper median outcome. Someone like Brandon Wright on the Bucks when people still thought he was kind of a shot making point guard, but he never really had the creation for others level. So I, I would side towards him. And you're not going to have a bad comp for Kobe White, but my bad comp is Marcus Thornton. 
All right. Who next? Uh, lastly, let's do Kevin Porter Jr. since he's fun. Um, my good comp is J.R. Smith. Okay. that's Yeah, that's spot on. I would say him. Just don't say James Harden. For the love of God, people, don't do that. <laughs> okay. Let's move on to bad comps for Kevin Porter Jr. I have a worst version of O.J. Mayo who flames out even faster. Uh, and then I said at the last episode, but I also have him as maybe potentially being Nick Young. Uh, what about you? <sighs> It's lower than Nick Young. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. I, that's kind of where we're at. I I don't even know what that player looks like. Like a shot making guy, maybe like a more athletic but not as good of a shooter version of like Jordan Clarkson, who Lakers fans are obviously very familiar Oof, with. Yes. Like a d- d- different body type, but that kind of player who's like a secondary creator takes a lot of bad shots. Isn't a high IQ player, but they don't really contribute to winning. I guess I would say them. That's fair. Okay. Lastly, let's do Cam Reddish. I know. Paul George is a popular ceiling upside comp for him, but I think if everything shakes out and he's able to focus on his game and hone in on the skills he needs to focus in on, which is 3 and D, I could see his upside comp being a Robert Covington or Chris Middleton. Maybe a Danny Granger type? Uh, What about you? For Cam, I think my good comp would be Otto Porter. That kind of, oh, if he becomes cool. that kind of shooter off motion, I don't think he has the athleticism to really be a self creator. I want him off the ball in that kind of tertiary role. He'd be great on the Hawks, too, example, playing off of Trey Young, that kind of off movement shooter. I like that role along with his team defense. Um, my bad comp, and this isn't necessarily a bad comp, but a more median comp for Cam Reddish, especially if his shot really develops and stays true, would be maybe like a Quentin Richardson or a Gerald Green, a less athletic Gerald Green. What do you think about those? Yeah, that's reasonable. Again, I, I just think the athleticism, like you said, I mean, the qualifier of less athletic is, is hugely important here. So <laughs> sure. I, I get what you're getting at for sure. With me, maybe like a less athletic version of Rudy Gay or something. I think the shot's going to translate, okay. but just giving a little bit more leeway in case he's not like a knockdown shooter, which he wasn't at Duke and he was getting a lot of good looks. So maybe he's just not that good of a shooter and he's like a like a poor man's athletic version of like maybe like mid-career Rudy Gay or someone like that. Sure, sure. All right, so that'll do it for good comp, bad comp. I hope people had fun with that. Please don't read into it and then take sound bites off of this and be like, this is what they compared it to. <laughs> Definitely going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, quickly to end this show, let's do quick hit awards as we enter into the draft. And this can apply across the board, not just to the Lakers at this point. So I have a couple templates here. And I'm, I use some players in previous drafts who... After we've seen them in the NBA for a little bit, they've kind of gained a reputation. So I'm going to use them in these awards. Um, and I did this with Alex West from the Red Team Scouting Group. First off, who wins the Georges Papagiannis slash Thonmaker Super Reach of the Year Award if this player was drafted in the lottery, in your opinion? Uh, for me, it would be Rui Hachimura. I would not have him in that yeah. range. And there's a very real chance he could even go top 10. So I think I would lean towards him. Cool. Um, who wins the Malcolm Brogdon underappreciated, under the radar, maybe slightly older prospect of the year award who becomes a regular future NBA starter in the lottery? So taken in the lottery or someone pushed back into like the second round that's going to be undervalued? Um, that's a good question. Let, I guess in the lottery. Or actually, you know what? Let, for for general generality's sake, yeah, let's say someone who's like a late first rounder or second rounder who can gain you that value. Yeah, I think there's a couple guys. I would honestly side with Grant Williams. We've already talked about him. I think he's a good candidate mm-hmm. here. I think I think he's going to go undervalued, especially because he didn't kill you know five on fives at the combine. Looking at the rest of these guys, Matisse Thibel actually has a pretty good rapport as far as defensively. He of course didn't partake in the combine. We think he might have had a promise, so I think he's more valued than we might think. Yeah, Grant Williams sticks out to me amongst this group. I don't know if Nick Claxton from Georgia, for example, is going to stay in the draft necessarily. I don't know if he's made that announcement yet or whatnot. And, you know, considering his combine performance, he could go late round one, which is kind of where I think he should go. So I don't see a huge gap between perception and reality for a lot of these other guys. So I'll, I'll go with Grant Williams, even though I've kind of lowered on him a little bit. I still would probably have him, you know, late lottery, but I don't think the NBA values him even near that, that range. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you're going to like this next award. Um, who wins the Marquise Chris Award for <laughs> right idea, wrong guy, all potential, no IQ skill prospect in the lottery, if he were to be taken in that range? Oh, I, I think Rui could qualify, even though I don't think he's a no-skill guy. Like He does have a legitimate mm-hmm. face-up game. He's not a, as bouncy as you know other guys that have come before him, like Marquise Chris. I would think upside, maybe Siku Demboya. 
because I think he's really going to okay. be a second contract guy. But he's had some big games recently. He just had like his biggest game of the season. I got to get back to his tape um, over the next couple of weeks. Him and the international guys, I haven't done as in-depth a dive on. But I would say maybe one of those two guys, the guys who are more associated with upside because of their athleticism. And I'm not sure if they have the requisite feel or skill level to really apply it. Cool. Um, who wins the Paul George slash Kawhi Leonard slash Jimmy Butler slash Clay Thompson slippy <laughs> wing who kind of falls in the you know later lottery who could eventually if things shake out right could really break out? Yeah, I think a lot of people would say Romeo Langford here. I don't think he's that caliber. Oh, okay. I don't think he's that caliber of athlete or shooter. So I don't think that guy exists in this class. If he did, I would have him probably number two <laughs> if I really thought he sure. would. Uh, I think Culver, honestly, but he's never going to fall that far. Like He's the one guy where I can right. see maybe getting to that level just because he has enough of the ingredients. Maybe RJ, too. But again, those guys are you know top seven, top eight picks. I don't really see anybody of that caliber, that wing type of shot maker who plays both sides of the floor falling that far. Cool. Um, my last question or my last award is, and maybe this is too hard to decipher, but who wins the Kelly Olynyk Award at Kelly Olynyk Award for almost too safe? You end up sorry that you gravitated towards his floor versus his ceiling. <laughs> A lot of people would say DeAndre Hunter here, as far as okay. the safety with some guys around that same range that have higher upside. I think generally you look at guys. Maybe Nikhil Alexander Walker is another guy who's like a, a higher floor. Some people would say that, but lower ceiling. Tyler Hero, a lot of these guys, like he's a he's a shooter type. He's got a negative wingspan. Everybody knows that. I think those guys tend to get overrated based on their safety and perceived shooting ability, but they don't have the requisite defensive ability and the ability to get to the rim and the other aspects of their game. So there's a lot of guys that can really qualify in this draft. I think with their respective ranges, you could argue Hunter in the top eight, and then I would probably go to Nikhil maybe in the top 20 would be guys that satisfy that. Cool. All right. Well, Cole, my last question to you, it's a little more Lakers related because I wasn't able to ask it. I wasn't able to ask you this in the last episode, but as we approach the NBA draft, let's say somehow RJ Barrett falls to the Lakers at number four. Do you think the Lakers should leverage the RJ Barrett play to trade down? Or do you think he would actually be a good fit at number four for the Lakers as opposed to Jared Culver or Adarius Garland? Yeah, that's really interesting just because if you play him off the ball and he's willing to play that role where he's more of a wing instead of a ball handler, I like him more because he can really attack closeouts, man. Like if, he, if you have to respect his shot, which I think his shot is actually okay with time and space off the catch when his feet are set, if he can just attack closeouts and play secondarily like that, I think he can actually be a valuable player. He can fit around those guys. He won't have the shooting gravity, of course, so you're going to get guys that help pop off him earlier in his career. But I do like him in advantage situations where he can really get into space and, and finish in a, in a more, I guess, a bet defense. So I guess I would approach it as if RJ falls to four, I would just take him and I would, I think he's going to retain trade value as far as into, you know, the summer, into his rookie year, maybe into a sophomore year, frankly, in the league. And I think he's the best bet to do that. And for a team like LA, where you want to just get honestly the best assets when there isn't like a clear fit that you'd feel comfortable with at that point, being awesome on the Lakers, I think that you should factor that into the calculus and say, you know, RJ can retain his trade value into the future. He, he does enough to where maybe he can fit around LeBron in, in certain respects. And I, I just trust his pedigree the most out of all of these guys. Right. No, that makes sense. All right, Cole. Well, thanks so much. You were a trooper. Thanks for joining us for two episodes, <laughs> even though you only did it one sitting, but we won't let anybody know that. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, we're excited for the 2019 NBA draft. You expect it to be kind of crazy, right? I mean, are you expecting fireworks? I, I know we say this every year, <laughs> but I have, a, I mean, just because of everything, it feels like a confluence of events are all lining up and maybe it's the most boring draft ever, but with all these teams, different motives coming into play, you're expecting some sort of movement, right? Yeah, because I mean, it's so heavily tied to free agency this year as well with premier destination teams like the Lakers and the Knicks and then the ramifications of that in free agency. And of course, you have the dynamic of this isn't like a class where you have an entrenched like top five who are viewed as the consensus top five. Like you'll see some differing thoughts probably at four and five that'll influence how people interact potentially. I think it's just uncertain. I, I look at this draft and I don't see a lot of, I, I don't know really what to expect. It's unpredictable. I don't know. There could be zero trades. Teams could be like, we don't see the value in trading up because we don't have these difference makers. We could also see teams less or more likely to lessen what they would command for the fourth overall pick or the fifth overall pick. Maybe they're more amenable to dealing it for less than a King's ransom. So maybe that facilitates trades. I think it could go a lot of different ways. Sure. Well, with that said, thank you again for joining us, Cole. 
One more time, if you want to give people your Twitter handle, I think it's just at Coles Wicker, but anything else you want to plug and uh, yeah, we'll send you out. Yeah, it's a very extravagant handle at Coles Wicker, very original. Um, <laughs> as usual, check out thestepbean.com. We'll have a ton of draft content coming out. We'll update our rankings on the site. I think we updated last in like early March, maybe. So we'll get those updated over the next couple of weeks. And uh, as usual, uh, Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vecini. And I'll probably be doing podcast hits over the next uh, month as well as radio hits. So I guess if you want to follow me, follow me on Twitter at Coles Wicker. And I talk mostly NBA, NBA draft. So uh, thanks for having me, man. This was awesome. Awesome. It was a lot of fun. Um, I'm glad you were amused and uh, (laughs) engaged throughout it all, especially as we were getting deep into those hypotheticals that will never happen. Or will they? Stay tuned to find out. And also stay tuned for segment two with my Salary Cap 101 Basics with Tommy. But first, a word from our sponsor. All right, so to close this show, I've got Tommy here with me, and I wanted to just do a quick lay of the land with regards to the Lakers' salary cap books and how that all coincides with a potential Anthony Davis trade, a potential Bradley Beal trade, or a trade for another superstar or another veteran player. So quickly, this is the Lakers' salary cap outlook. Obviously, when it comes to the draft lottery and the Lakers jumping seven spots from their number 11th pick to the number fourth pick, that had salary implications and added about $3 million to the Lakers cap books. Because initially, the number 11th pick had a cap hold of about $4 million, and that's the base salary plus the 120% that the rookie is eligible to sign. It went from about $4 million to $7 million. But unfortunately, because of the jump, that leaves the Lakers about $200,000 short of the 7-9 to nine year max amount of $32.7 million. Currently, they have $32.5 million available, and that's with LeBron James, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Cal Kuzma, Josh Hart, Mo Wagner, Isaac Bonga, Luau Deng's dead cap space, and the number 4 pick on the books. And that also includes the four empty cap holds that you have to account of, of about $3.5 million. So they're only 200 k short of being able to reach that 32.7. So in order to get to that amount, one, maybe the projected cap for this upcoming year comes in higher than expected, which would be great for the Lakers and means that maybe they don't have to do anything and that higher projection maybe accounts for that 200 k Or the Lakers have to move on from Isaac Bonga and ship him out to another team for nothing. Or worst case scenario is they stretch Isaac Bonga's 1.4 million to gain that 200k that they need for a Kyrie Kemba Kawhi Max. So some other quick tidbits that you should be aware of are, if the Lakers are able to sign a big name free agent or just use all of their cap space in general and become capped out, The only exception they'll be able to avail of after that are, of course, the veteran minimum exceptions, but also the the room mid-level exception. They won't be able to avail of the standard mid-level exception of about $9 million or even the taxpayer mid-level exception of $5.7 million because in this summer, they're going to be dipping below the cap space and using up some of their cap. So because of that, they can only avail of the room exception of about $4.7 million. That should still be enough to get a role player like a Markeith Morris or maybe a Seth Curry. So look for the Lakers to do something like that. Now, when it comes to an Anthony Davis and Bradley Beal trade, one thing to note is that Bradley Beal is actually making the same amount of money that Anthony Davis is in the upcoming year. They both are going to make around $27 million. So anything and everything we say with regards to Anthony Davis and the cap machinations that have to be adhered to, all of that will also apply to Bradley Beal. So you can pretty much flip-flop the two. They're, they're synonymous to each other when it comes to juggling the cap books, essentially. Now, when it comes to executing either an Anthony Davis or Bradley Beal trade, everyone has heard at this point that there's an order of operations that need to take place in order for the Lakers to be able to still avail of their max cap space this summer. So, Tommy, could you explain why, in almost any scenario, the Lakers would have to wait for free agency first and then trade for Anthony Davis. Now, a trade can be made in principle and agreed to on draft night or even right now, but the execution, the official execution of that would have to happen after free agency occurs, whether they've gotten themselves a big-name free agent or whether they've struck out. 
So the order of operations, if we do trade for Anthony Davis, always has to be that the Anthony Davis trade is going to be last. Um, and that's just because it's the best way to maximize our cap space. We currently, like you said, have enough space to sign a max player or with, you know, maybe minor maneuvering, sign a max player. Um, we can't trade for Anthony Davis. To, we, t- we, I mean, by, by league rules, we could trade for Anthony Davis today, but if we did trade for him today, it would eat into our cap space and then we wouldn't be able to use everything. Um, the reason that is obviously is because you need to match salaries in a trade, but you only need to match up to, I can't remember what the threshold is exactly. I don't know if you remember offhand, but it's some percentage. Is it 80% or something? Yeah. So if you're over the salary cap, which is what the Lakers would be after they make their signings, um, you need mm-hmm. to match salaries within 20%. So for the Lakers, let's say that they're over the cap because they've signed Kawhi Leonard or just made their signings in general. After that, the Lakers don't need to match salary for salary Anthony Davis's $27 million because they only need to be within 20% of that. And 20% of that would be around $21 million. But if the Lakers didn't make their signings yet and just use their salary cap space before free agency, whoever they send out for Anthony Davis, his entire 27.09 contract would then take up some of the space and we wouldn't be able to avail of that you know, within 20% parameter that is given to you once you're over the cap. I know that's a little convoluted, but did you have a better way of explaining it? No, I mean, it? I think you, you got the gist. I mean, the, the idea is that we basically save like 5.3 million. Yeah. You know, the difference between those numbers uh, is how much we save and those are valuable dollars for free agency. So there's no scenario. I mean, unless it's like, you know, for whatever reason, every everybody comes out and all of the top free agents go and stand in a courtroom and hold their hands up under oath and say, we're not going to the Lakers. That's maybe the only case you're like, okay, well, whatever. Even if that did happen, though, you're, you're still incentivized to use all of the space you have before you make a trade. Okay, so that's why we would do that first. That being said, it's not outside of the realm of possibility that, uh, you know, things start to heat up and right around the draft, you hear like Lakers and Pelicans moving towards a trade and a trade could be um, completed soon. And the reason that is, is because you can, you know, agree to consummate it. I mean, if we are going to do this use cab space, there's two reasons really. Number one is if we're going to do this two caps, uh, use our cab space, then trade plan, to make a trade for Anthony Davis, we're going to want to sign our rookie, whoever we draft at number four, to 120% of his uh, contract value to make sure that we're trading the maximum amount possible in outgoing salary. His current cap hold is just going to be like $5 million or whatever the base salary is of that pick. But if we trade him, um, if we sign him to a 120%, it'll be... Seven. You know, uh, seven million going out. So once you sign a rookie, you have there's a thirty day waiting period, and that actually helps the Lakers out because they can then use that as salary ballast without having to give up multiple young players like Kuzma, Mo, Bonga, Josh Hart. Those four guys, just those four guys alone, only make up about seven million dollars. But instead, now the Lakers lottery pick makes up $7 million on his own. So you could essentially get to that Anthony Davis threshold of salary matching after the cap by just having Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, and the lottery pick together. Or different combinations of Brandon Ingram, the lottery pick, which would be $14 million together, and then add Josh Hart's $2 million, add Cal Kuzma's $2 million, add Mo Wagner's $2 million. You can essentially get to that $21 million a lot easier because the Lakers lottery pick jumped up to $7 million. So in totality, it's actually a good thing that the Lakers ended up losing $3 million in cap space, but having that allocated to just one player alone in the number four pick. But like you said, this is one of the reasons why the Lakers would have to execute this trade officially later. Yeah, so that's one reason. But, you know, another reason is just, we, like I said, we want to get through free agency. So uh, you might hear, and this happens all the time, it just, you know, people don't really pay attention to it, I guess. I mean... A few days before the draft, we heard that D'Angelo Russell is traded for, you know, a pick and 
and uh, to dump Timothy Mozgov. Okay. But that trade was not consummated until draft night. Well, because there was an order of operations, we had to wait until draft night before we could make that trade because of, I think, something to do with the fact that uh, maybe the Nets needed to make the pick so then they could trade it. I'm not exactly sure the mechanics, but the trade was not consummated until days after it was originally announced. When LeBron James got Kevin Love on that team, I like how I'm using him as the GM, but when the Cavs got Kevin Love... They traded uh, the number one pick and multiple other assets for Kevin Love. Um, that trade was announced like in July or something, like not that long after LeBron signed there. It was not consummated until like the end of August because, you know, it's like they, by this point, the Timberwolves had already signed Wiggins and they had to wait 30 days. So this con- concept of like, we're agreeing to a trade, but there's an order of operations, so we have to wait for you know X, Y, and Z to happen. This is common. I mean, with a trade, it's a little weird because there's so many factors, um, so you get worried that people will back out. But you see it in free agency all the time. I mean, when Kawhi Leonard signed his last extension with the Spurs, it was the same summer they signed LaMarcus Aldridge. So Kawhi had to wait until... It was announced, oh, Kawhi is signing with uh, the Spurs. He's not even taking meetings with other teams. But he did not sign that contract until the Spurs ran through all their other orders of operations, signed LaMarcus, signed all the other free agents, because they had his cap hold on the books, and they were just going to sign him using his cap hold space to, and go beyond his cap hold space. So it's like the order of operations is important, and you know if things get really heated and... You know, for whatever reason, New Orleans decide. I don't think this will happen, but if they decide by the time of the draft that they know that they want the number four pick package, and the Lakers are willing, and they know at that time that the Lake they're willing to offer it, they could agree in principle to a trade at that time, and then consummate it. You know, at some point in July after the Lakers have used their space and signed their rookie, et cetera, et cetera. So it's important to make the distinction that even if you hear the Lakers have made a trade with the New Orleans Pelicans for Anthony Davis on draft day, that that doesn't automatically mean that the Lakers screwed up in their order of operations and that they're foregoing max cap space. Because what's more likely is that they just simply agreed to the trade in principle and they will execute it after free agency. So they'll essentially wait till the Lakers make their max signings or wait till the Lakers even just make their role player signings in general and split that max money up. Wait till the Lakers can sign their rookie to the 120% amount that the rookie can avail of. Or would the team, like the New Orleans Pelicans, be the one signing that agreement with the rookie? It would be the Lakers. So we wouldn't we wouldn't trade him until thirty days after we signed. So him. like August or something. Yeah. So so which I mean, look, it happens, and by all accounts, it's all agreed to. And you're just it's you're in a waiting period, you know. So you just wait. But I'm sure at that point, AD would be in our facility practicing. Our rookie would be in New Orleans, or you know, whatever. Um, but the order of operations to maximize cap space for this summer is always going to be number one you draft the player but don't sign them right away number two use all every penny of space you have and then number three you sign your rookie last and um, try to work out a trade at that point if that's the route you're going to go can you think of a scenario where the lakers would actually take anthony davis into their cap space and not pull off the order of operations that we laid out where in as official as you can get, they make that deal before free agency. Can you think up of a scenario like that? Because for me, I think the one scenario where I think the Lakers would forgo preserving their max amount of cap space is if they can get Anthony Davis on such a bargain, and this is already unrealistic as I'm talking about it, but let's just say the New Orleans Pelicans said, look, we'll give you Anthony Davis for the number four pick in Brandon Ingram, and that's it. I think in that scenario, maybe the Lakers just say, okay, let's do the deal. We won't have to give up any other young pieces, and that's worth it enough for us to have Anthony Davis eat into our max cap slot. So if that deal were to occur, Brandon Ingram and the number four pick would go out. That's about $14 million going out, and then Anthony Davis's salary of $27 million would go in. And so that's a $13 million difference, and that $13 million would eat into the Lakers' max cap space of about $32 million and leave them with only $19 million left to spend. They won't have enough for a max slot player, but in that sense, you know, 
they only had to give up number four in Brandon Ingram, and they still have $19 million left to use in free agency. Plus, they got to keep Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, Josh Hart, Mo Wagner, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's the only scenario where I can see the Lakers, you know, making that deal, quote unquote, before free agency, even though, again, they have to sign their rookie first and, uh, you know, wait 30 days in order to to make that deal official. And in another vein, let's say the Washington Wizards said, "Okay, we'll give you Bradley Beal for the number four pick. And that's it. Unlikely. But let's say that happens. In that sense, it's such a bargain for the Lakers that they probably wouldn't pass that up and they'd be willing to eat into their max cap space to just take on Bradley Beal at that moment. But does that make sense? I mean, it makes sense. I mean, it's like uh, you could think of a million wild scenarios where maybe something can happen. I don't I, I just don't think that's likely at all, obviously. But um, but yeah, if, if they came to us and they were had this absurd bargain bin deal then I'm sure they'd be like, okay, well, maybe we need to think twice about do we actually want to sign somebody else? Even in that case, you have to think like they would rather stall to have three superstars. But I don't know. Maybe they'd be like, okay, well, in this case, we get Anthony Davis and we keep like two of our main young core players. So, uh, yeah, I just don't think it would come come to that uh, to that point. Yeah, for sure. So in all likely scenarios there will be an agreement made in principle or the deal will just happen in general after free agency again has to happen afterwards because if you trade for anthony davis now you take on his whole 27 million dollar contract if you trade for him later then you can use the within 20 percent rule and i guess another way of looking at it is the Lakers can then, once they're over their cap, take back 125% plus 100K worth of salaries uh, for all the salaries they're sending out. And in that sense, it would be only $21.77 million that they need to match to get Anthony Davis in and still be okay cap-wise. Now, let's say the Lakers strike out in free agency and want to use their cap space to trade for and take in an all-star type player. That's when guys like Mike Conley come into play. Whether the Lakers know in advance that they've struck out in free agency and do a deal for Mike Conley by taking him into their cap space on draft day for some reason, or whether they physically strike out in free agency and are left to dry and swing a Conley trade later, by taking his $32.5 million contract on, a large chunk of their spending money would be eaten up. And a large chunk of that money would be eaten up because, presumably, by trading for Mike Conley, the Lakers wouldn't need to send out their godfather offer of Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Cal Kuzma, etc., etc., to match salaries or to even or to even match value for Mike Conley because trading for Mike Conley would be way less because trading for Mike Conley isn't going to cost them as much as it would have if they had traded for Anthony Davis. So they'd just be using cap space to execute a trade like this. So let's say the Memphis Grizzlies are willing to trade Mike Conley for the number four pick straight up, which I think is a very realistic trade and is fair for both sides since the Grizzlies are trying to rebuild and strip everything down and already have the number two pick and Jaron Jackson Jr. to do that. If that deal happens, that's $32.5 million coming in to the Lakers and $7 million going out, which is the amount that the number four pick is going to make. The amount of money that the Lakers would have left to spend on another free agent after that deal occurs, would only be around $7 million at that point. Now, the Lakers could gain a little more spending money if they decide to also ship out Mo Wagner's $2 million and then Isaac Bonga's $1.4 million, along with that number four pick in that Conley deal. If they do that, they'll have about $9 million or so left to spend, so you get maybe like a $2 million bump by shipping out Mo Wagner and Bonga as well. So maybe in that sense, they can get a Brooke Lopez or a Dwayne Dedman with that money, And then after that, they can also sign another role player like Seth Curry for the room mid-level exception of about $4 million or whoever is willing to take that $4 million, maybe Wesley Matthews at that point. So that's how a Mike Conley strikeout deal would work with the Lakers only surrendering the number four pick and maybe tossing Mo Wagner and Isaac Bonga as well and them being able to keep their young core but also not being able to sign a real max level guy. In this case, their max guy would be Mike Conley, who has two years left on his contract, which actually isn't too cripplingly bad. Now, this also applies to someone like Drew Holiday, if the Pelicans were to somehow make him available, although right now that seems unrealistic because it looks like they're handing him the keys to the franchise and keeping him on to help shepherd Zion Williamson. But 
With regards to Drew Holiday, he's actually making less than Mike Conley, and also he's two years younger. He's still only 28 at the moment. Um, this upcoming season, Drew Holiday will be making $26.1 million, and let's say we do the same deal that we did for Conley, where we ship out the number four, Mo Wagner, Isaac Bonga for Drew Holiday. In that sense, because he's making less than Mike Conley, about $6 million less, the Lakers would have about 18 to $19 million left to spend uh, on the free agent market if they do this sort of deal. So that's not a bad chunk of change to have left over. The only downside for Drew Holiday is that his contract runs for three more years as opposed to Mike Conley's two. But because he's two years younger than Mike Conley and just reaching his prime, that extra year is probably negligible anyways. So a Drew Holiday-Lonzo Ball backcourt isn't a bad consolation prize. Um... So yeah, that's another strikeout move I could see the Lakers making. Again, none of these moves are ones that I prefer or advise the Lakers to make because at the end of the day, I'd still rather have Darius Garland, Jarrett Culver, or DeAndre Hunter plus max cap space to spend on role players. I'd be fine just taking that $32 million that we have if we strike out and sharing that across the board and trying to find a Nikola Mirotic or even a Vucevic, uh, Brooke Lopez, just share the wealth and bring in some really solid role players. And if we need to make a trade down the road, we still have that option because we have all of our assets. But again, I bring these two scenarios up because it's a route I could see this front office taking if they're really desperate. So just keep that in mind. Okay, so that'll pretty much do it for tonight's episode. It was a little bit of a Frankenstein episode that I had to put together. Did experience some sound slash audio problems that I had to sort of... uh, patchwork quilt put back together so if it seems like I'm talking from three different places uh, in the span of one segment it's because that's exactly what I had to do and had to record over uh, corrupted audio and whatnot so hopefully that still played out okay for everybody and uh, yeah we'll be back next week with another episode and probably get more of our thoughts on free agency and how things have sort of sort of shifted and changed in that respect and how confident we are about certain free agents like Jimmy Butler, Kemba Walker, Kyrie Irving, etc., etc., and obviously keep talking about the NBA draft, where the Lakers stand in that respect, and all that good stuff. So again, please follow us on Twitter, at LakersLegacyPod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes, yada, yada, yada. Again, thanks for your support. Lakers Legacy, out skis. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.